0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my very own personal quartet, the one and only DJ. Wow. I, I'm I'm
1: personal personal quartet. I feel <laughs> like I've gone up a level there. So. Yeah, this
0: is some VIP shit that's happening right now, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew. The the velvet
1: curtain has come up and like yes. I've been able to go past the rope.
0: <laughs> the rope has opened, exactly. Oh my goodness. I don't know, but we're recording on Friday and we typically record on a Wednesday, and I have like big Friday energy. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. I also am highly caffeinated, so Well, I thought you were uh,
1: completely off of of the coffee bean.
0: I mean, I'm trying to be off of it, and now I can have like a tiny little bit, but I also have had a Diet Coke and a giant tea, so I'm like, and part of a Red Bull earlier, so (laughs) I am zooming. Living the dream, all right. Yes. Is this real life? I feel like David (laughs) at the dentist. (laughs) All right. plan for this episode is we're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about... Wizard and Glass, Part 3, Come Reap, Chapter 4, Roland and Cuthbert, Sections 1 through 12. And then we'll close up the show with our thoughts on Episode 4 of The Stand. We have some listener feedback from the Facebook group, and we have a really fun post-show for people who are sticking around like, for the patrons who are sticking around for that. But we'll get into that later on. Now, before we move forward, though, DJ, can you please remind our listeners of our spoiler policy here on this here podcast?
1: So I'm going to take this dog tail that I have severed from some poor animal. (laughs) I will dip it in red paint and I will draw a line across (laughs) the wall to indicate when we are falling into the spoiler zone. Don't want to see it. Don't walk past that red line. We'll let you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but why did he need the dog tail? I don't know.
1: Uh, I I was going to ask you that when we get into the synopsis, but it's like, what is, is there some sort of thing that I'm not aware of that like maybe harkens back to, I don't know, painting the fence white with Tom Sawyer or something of that nature that uh, a chopped off dog's tail is just things that kids did back then i i don't know i
0: don't i mean like i thought at first he was gonna like plant the dog's tail to try to put people off the scent but they never explicitly say that he does i guess you can assume that's what he did but they talk about the dead birds and the bird heads but they never talk about the dog tail
1: oh actually they they do they um, do did i miss they, that yeah i think no. he's skim past it there's a point where he actually leaves the dog tail pointing straight up sticking out of the The like bottom of the thing in the in the bird cage. God,
0: see, I just like that part. I hated so much. I think I just left my body,
1: (laughs) just being mean to (laughs) the birds and like snide at them while he they're waiting for the end.
0: Yeah, I don't care for that so much. I know I've said some good things about Jonas, but I may have turned on him this episode or this chapter. (laughs) Not a fan of anybody who rips heads off birds. Just saying, just saying. If anybody out there is like, what would Rachel like from me? It's not ripping heads off birds. So, mark that off the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where um, did we leave off? Where did we leave off?
1: Uh, okay, so there's some turmoil in the gang. Roland is obviously having some issues that uh, he believes that um, he is kind of on on the right path, and we have Elan and Keith Burt who both basically think that Roland's like blind to the obvious. And there's just a whole lot of turmoil in the gang. Um, mm-hmm. We also have Susan possibly being discovered. We have Jonas and the gang um, kind of feeling out what Roland's gang is up to and uh, making plans. And then, of course, uh, we're still waiting on the writer from the advanced party to show up for Yes. Said uh, oil tankers and horses mm-hmm. and Whoop. all of the other things that have been gathered about in Hambury. Robot Dun. fuel,
0: apparently. Yeah, I know, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what kind of robots run on on pusherine? I don't know. No, guess we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we find out. Like, I actually do not remember very much about right? this section. So, like. I even though I've read this before, I mm-hmm. feel like I am discovering a bunch of stuff I'd completely left by the wayside
0: yeah you i mean know? i i when i when Blaine blew past that robot at the beginning of the book, I was not expecting that to be foreshadowing, I know right, so I hope we do get our eyeballs on some war war robos, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the gang kind
1: of get up late. Uh, not because they're actually lazy, but because they're trying to basically take on the persona of rich kids from the city who uh, have grown accustomed to sleeping in. And they're kind of hanging out. Um, they're going out to to, to count. And I'm going to end up jumping around here, Rachel, so you, you may have to pull me back okay. in. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but basically, uh, Roland and Kiefer get into the same argument they've been having about um, advance notice warning of of his dad and like what's going on there and they argue about the uh pigeons and basically Roland like foreshadows with like okay fine um I'll let you send out the pigeons uh later on uh, if if they're still around is basically like what he alludes to right 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 and like so it's sort of like wait a minute what do you got going on here Roland yeah. And Keith Burt, like, is surprised by this, and he says, okay, well, that sounds reasonable enough. And so then they head out to go do the count. Um, mm-hmm. And I forgot to mention that we left Shimi, um at, with his delivery tasks uh, assigned to him to go out in the morning to run some stuff off to, to Rhea. Mm-hmm. A- and so you can basically feel right now the tension between Roland and Keith Burt building up. Ooh. Yes. As they go out to do their normal counting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you got three stars here. So I've really summarized that into like something super short. I need to let you jump in. and
0: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say that you didn't miss. I mean, there's not a ton that happens in this section, but the one thing I you did miss is that when they're walking out, Roland just sort of is like, Oh, but he doesn't explain why he says, Oh, and Cooper kind of like makes a, Sort of like a joke that is not really a joke about like is that oh i gonna go see my girlfriend or oh i'm gonna hang out with my smelly guy friends and roland is just like mm, just oh he doesn't really elaborate and as the audience who has been reading this book we kind of have an inkling of what's going on because where we left off was obviously jonas planning to go and do something to roland and the gang right
1: yeah and that basically is the underlying point that uh, roland spotted jonas kind of
0: hanging out right and so the thing is though even in this moment when he spotted jonas he doesn't tell them anything he keeps them in the dark this is and this is a reoccurring question that comes up to me throughout this entire chapter is why why isn't he explaining to them what's going on here why is he refusing to bring his friends into his into his plants is this manipulation Is this that he doesn't trust them to be able to handle the information? Is it him being arrogant and thinking he is seeing all the moves ahead? Is he just naive? Like we, for one thing, we never get inside his head, so we have no freaking idea. He's a total black box. But I, I just feel like what the question is: What would change if he had just been open with them? For one thing, his quartet would be solid because what a driving problem between him and Cuthbert is that he just seems like he's doing absolutely nothing. But if maybe he was explaining what he's doing and including them, there wouldn't be this tension between him and Cuthbert. But here's a perfect example of once again, he sees something going on, he doesn't like loop his friends in. And I just kind of wonder why? What's going on in his head? So,
1: I thought maybe it was like the 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 fallacy of the leader where like if you feel or perceive yourself to be the leader, you feel as though you don't have the ability to talk to your underlings. Oh.
0: You know, like you're like separated almost. Himself apart, yeah. And then this
1: is extra heavy because they're young people. So mm-hmm. Roland is the first to the guns. Mm-hmm. Roland is the first to the lady.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's also like the leader of the group. And that separation of being first at all these things kind of has driven a wedge between – where he's at as a person and Mm -hmm. where the rest of his fellow man members are at as a person Mm -hmm. is kind of how I felt about it. Um, But there's one more thing in here and it's subtle, but I wanted to ask you about it as Roland is talking to Keith Burt, he jumps back and forth between calling him Keith Burt and calling him Burt. Right. And I I wanted to know if that was, if you thought that was significant at all, like that lackadaisical way of referring Mm -hmm. to him, is that, do you think that means something? Is that insulting or is that like I mean, I talking down or, or what? Because it's really done spe- um, very, very consciously throughout this section where he, when he switches back and forth.
0: Well, I mean, I know I didn't notice the Cuthbert to Bert, but I did notice him say Arthur Heath.
1: Yeah. Like that he's too. like,
0: does that seem fair to you, Ar- Arthur Heath? And I don't know if that's just because it's a byproduct of internal dialogue versus external dialogue. Mm. Or if it's maybe him being more in character because he knows that Jonas is nearby. But I didn't notice the Cuthbert-Burt thing. I will say that it it does, whether or not he means it to be, it does kind of reinforce this idea, when if he's switching back between Cuthbert and Burt, of him not responding to what is what Cuthbert is putting out there. And not maybe, I don't see, I can't decide if he's doing this on purpose and then there's a purpose to it. Or if he's just refusing, or like he's just not seeing it, but he's adding fuel to the fire every single time Cuthbert baits him, and he just ignores it. It's just ratcheting up that anger. And we're seeing that over the course of this chapter. is like he is rapidly approaching a a breaking point. And, And I don't know if some of that is him just being sort of forced jovial with him, or if he's like him i can't figure out what's happening with roland right now it does not make sense to me which is why i keep wanting to give him the benefit of the doubt that he has something planned and he's just accidentally making bad choices here because he's young but i I can't really tell
1: yeah it's hard to say um and i'm guessing this will evolve a little bit more further into the into this chapter and the next um but those are things to, to like kind of keep in the back of our heads as we move yeah. through this
0: what um, do you think it, about him telling Huthbert, like oh yeah you can send pigeons tomorrow knowing well and good that he can't i mean if that feels very manipulative and like a total dick move to me what do you think
1: uh well now that you say it like that yeah i right i kind of thought of it as more like roland knew it wasn't going to be able to happen anyway mm-hmm. and so um that's why he was forestalling it
0: Right. Well, I think he was basically disarm, like basically being like, "We're not going to argue about this. So I'm going to tell you that you can have your way, but only because I know you can't."
1: Well, okay. So uh, that leads me to another uh, train of thought here, and mm-hmm. and that is, if Roland's playing like three dimensional chess, as we sort of like think maybe he is, as we move through this section, we hope um, maybe he is, maybe he is, and so. My thought, if that's the case, is that Roland suspected that Jonas would come out there at any time in the near term. And if anything was uh, other than normal, it would lead to adding more suspicion to Jonas as to what they're up to. So if he sent the birds off or sent a bird off to send a message and maybe there's only one bird left in the cage, like that maybe could have flagged Jonas somehow into the irregularity Mm. i I, I don't know maybe Maybe that's wrong um it just it it sort of feels like roland knew this this particular step is coming
0: yeah i mean it makes sense that eventually they would send some sort of spy out their way
1: yeah so i don't know um it's hard to say uh i wish i had a better theory for this one like normally i'm like yeah did you think about this but this one i'm just like well he's either an a-hole or He's not an a-hole.
0: I think it just speaks to the fact that it's so unclear what's happening here. And yeah. none of it, none of it looks good for Roll. Even if he's playing 3D chess, the way that he's treating, I mean, I guess, <laughs> what else do you expect from Roll he'd let a child drop to his death at some point? You know, like, its it's not like it's outside his character to manipulate and use the people who are closest to him. But you'd like to think that came later in life as he became more jaded and went through some shit. But already, it, it, you know, to see the seeds of that here would be a little, like, ooh, a little uncomfortable. A little
1: disappointing. Well, either that or it could just be the love-drunk nature of his relationship with Susan. It
0: could it's, be. It could very well be.
1: Because, you know, he started being, like, lackadaisical about his interactions with his friends um, over the course of their developing relationship themselves. Yeah. And during that time, like, Roland became passive about a lot of stuff. Yeah. you know <laughs> to the point where uh, even when they're having a conversation like you would almost feel like one person thinks this will this comment will lead to a fight but instead it leads to absolutely nothing
0: right which is so infuriating i you know i'm getting ahead of myself again but i'm as we're talking about this i kind of feel like i'm processing something later that happens in the chapter where maybe if this is sort of explained by something Cuthbert says where Essentially, he's like Roland is doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, and that makes it wrong. So what we're feeling is that wrongness, even though maybe tactically he's making good choices. I don't know. I don't don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) So no no problem. Sorry.
1: I I can tell by your voice this like weighs heavy on your heart.
0: I just I'm no I mean I'm just confused I'm confused (laughs) I just and I know that there's there's intention behind why Stephen King is giving us this perspective of literally every other character than Roland we have not had a in Roland's head chapter for a while and even when they were they didn't tell us much you know like we didn't get a ton of insight into his overall thinking We just get little bits and pieces. Like when he's talking to Susan, we'll get little tidbits here and there.
1: Well, and that's a strange thing is because Roland is actually telling the story to the gang in in present day.
0: Right. So maybe he's intentionally.
1: obfuscating his own reality because he doesn't want to shed too much light on himself to the gang.
0: Right. Or like it's some way, like he wants to reveal that information later. I don't know. Like, I guess from a, if you think of this from a storytelling perspective, Obviously, that's very meta because it is a story that's been told by <laughs> Stephen King. But you know what I mean? Like, I could see he's intentionally hiding, like, he's basically hiding what's going on in him so that later on it can be revealed. I don't freaking know, man. I don't know. It's very confusing.
1: I mean, I like your theory that uh, uh, him telling the story to the gang means that he needs to have, um, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And if he tells too much of the end at the beginning, then the, the story doesn't stand by itself anymore. So th- that may be v- very accurate. Is like, he just wants to tell the story as a, as a nice little, um, you know, a hero's journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That could be, that could be. <laughs>
1: uh, so we cut back to Shimi. He's at the bar. Um, he's got to deliver the graft barrel. He doesn't want to go up to Rhea's hut. She's a scary lady uh coral kind of like wins him over by explaining that she usually tips well and that the fair's coming up and a boy with fair money in his pocket can have a lot of fun and so (laughs) it's sort of played on shimi's like lack of fear but also is like in you know future enjoyment to trick him into going But she does warn her um, not to stay out past dark, and and Shimi's already pretty nervous about going up here. And, like, Rhea in general presents somewhat of a a scary place for him, Uh, and everybody sort of knows it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, for reasons yet to be discovered, that's a very (laughs) bad place for Shimi to go. I got so, some got some mushrooms for you you know <laughs> all right we'll get there we'll get there so the one thing i i now this is not anything major but we in the past have talked a lot about the names of the the horses and different things and we get the name of his mule which is uh capricoso so i wanted to see what that meant because like we we talked about pylon <laughs> and we talked about you know uh glue horse or whatever so <laughs> I looked this up and it's actually a Spanish word meaning capricious or impulsive, and so I was thinking if this has actual theme, thematic, thematic. There we go. Theme Too much caffeine, man. Too much. Uh, if it actually has thematic uh, import, I was thinking maybe it, it's sort of a foreshadow to the fact that later Shimi is going to give Cooper the letter, sort of impulsively oh, yeah, maybe. gives the letter.
1: I don't know. I actually went a completely different direction. Oh, um, this sort of sounded astrological oh like and so Capricorn
0: i kind of yeah thing? exactly i was kind of leaning towards
1: that so i was like oh maybe it's just that you know he's taking this astrological horse up to see a witch you know
0: mm, that could be and we know that a, like astronomy plays a pretty big role in this because we're like always talking about moons and whatnot
1: yeah that's where i was at but mm-hmm. i didn't go look up the words so yeah. y- you were probably more close to being accurate than me <laughs>
0: I mean it could mean absolutely nothing. It's just I felt like there has been a lot of um hints or Easter eggs or at least um intentional use of names in this. So I wanted to see what this one meant. And then I was like, Oh okay then.
1: <laughs> uh so we, we cut back to Jonas. Um turns out like Roland did kind of spot him. He was hiding out in the grass. Mm. Uh, he rolls in and like finds their laundry hanging up nice and neat, and he pulls it down and pees on it.
0: That's what with these big coffin hunters and peeing on everything. <laughs> I know. I don't. It's, well,
1: so my theory there is that like it's sort of analogous to like marking your territory.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point.
1: And so, even though we don't think of that as a normal people thing. <laughs> like (laughs) these guys um in some ways stephen king portrays them as like cornered animals a little bit Mm -hmm. and so i mean they
0: definitely think they are like the big swinging dick apex predator and yeah exactly so like Mm -hmm.
1: being being able to mark your territory by peeing on these guys clothing is like it sort of makes sense yeah
0: and, and it's and, also extremely disrespectful, and if you're trying to trigger a teenager, peeing on their stuff is going to probably be a fairly effective tactic.
1: I mean, as long as, you know, you've had some asparagus or something.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> mm, now i want asparagus not for the pea part just because mm, it's good <laughs> <laughs> the pea um, part is a so, bonus
1: <laughs> so he rolls into their house or, or well into the bar basically and he he starts ripping up their stuff he's taking some of their paper breaking their pens he kind of like smugly looks at the pigeons and is like mm. you can keep eating and and shitting for a little while longer while i make the rest of this mess <laughs> And he sort of writes some like rather um, grotesque things about uh, uh, one of the boy's mothers uh, on his stuff and uh, uh, basically just trashes the place. And then he finally gets back to the pigeons and he, he kills the pigeons and then he leaves the dog tail sticking up like a prick in the middle of the pigeon cage and we also kind of get this moment too where um the horse has been carrying this dog tail and right. it sort of stinks
0: yeah
1: and the horse is almost happy to get rid of it and i guess i'm i, I don't know how much flesh is on a dog tail M- my dogs are pretty small and like i'm 90% sure it's just skin and bone on those tails right so so i don't know if this is just a really meaty dog's tail or or, or what but yeah, yeah, it's super super weird with the dog tail thing. Yeah, um, I don't care for it. I don't know what the heck is going on with that. And then the insults to the mother, like he's basically thinking about the best way to, to, to razz these guys. And then right. the other thing that Jonas notices, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but uh, he's sort of poking around to find a crack in the floor mm-hmm. or a creaky board and he ends up finding the place where they've had their guns hidden yeah. and and i i know again i'm jumping around but at that point um in that scene he's he's like if you know there's a real sandalwood grip here and a real gunslinger's gun um my plan can go to hell because i'm gonna take that gun
0: yeah yeah that stood out to me too because i on one hand you could perceive that as him not being able to resist the urge even if it like screws up his plan i mean obviously he says it doesn't matter ultimately one way or the other but at the same time he is tempted to take the guns if it were he would not be able to resist the urge to take the guns if they were actually like gunslinger guns Mm -hmm. and you can interpret that as either you know like it's just because it's such an incredible tool you know that it's just a better gun to have something like that would be good for him as a man who kind of lived a gunslinger's lifestyle even if he isn't a gunslinger. Um, or at least someone who lives by the gun, I guess is a better way to put it. Or to me, I almost kind of felt like they represent this thing he was denied and that he could never have and that he was shamed and driven away from ever being able to possess. So to be able to get something like that would be something he could not resist doing and he would risk throwing his, his plans, you know, caution to the wind, and it would be worth it for him to be able to finally have this thing that he was denied
1: so to me it felt like um if he had the guns he would basically be a gunslinger right because <laughs> that's, that's right. the ultimate thing so right for him like his dream was to be a gunslinger and then mm-hmm. you know court's father threw him out yeah and yeah. now if he could have those guns like that would be right. the ultimate like i finally graduated look at me
0: right i lean towards that because i think about the way that they you, the guns, with such reverence, they're not just a tool. They really are kind of seen a
1: symbol, as like, a, like yeah, a holy like relic. Whole symbol of, of yeah. honor and like justice and being like the best at your trade.
0: Yeah, and like, we know Jonas as he is now, but there was a time in his life where he was training to be a gunslinger, and he was fully bought in on that stuff, presumably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, uh-huh,
1: mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I know I jumped around a little bit, but those sections kind of blend together, so yeah. well, let covering me bring that—
0: one more thing from that later section which is there's a moment where he feels elaine's touch yep and to me this should have tipped him to the fact that these are not just your regular ass even rich kids or somewhat trained kids like kids have sense of training if he's able to use the touch in this manner but again for whatever reason jonas does not want to totally buy into what is being presented to him in front of his face And I think this shows a little bit of his own arrogance. He has such disdain for them that he there's a part of him that will not accept that they are who they are, which is kind of interesting considering I really felt like we came away from the last chapter thinking like, Oh, he totally is hip to them. He knows, he knows it all now, but he there's his own personal blind spots are preventing him from finally fully recognizing who he's up against.
1: Well, not just that, but the, Jonas thinks that the touch is something that is for madmen and yeah. artists yeah yeah and so does that mean that normally gunslingers don't necessarily have much of the touch or does that mean that a gunslinger has reached the the finest pinnacles of their artistry
0: I mean I think it's people who are tapped into the touch are either kind of like mad or weird Or they're gunslingers and he can see that these kids are neither of column B or C and he doesn't want to accept that they're column A.
1: Ah, okay.
0: The other thing is is it reminded me a little bit of obviously when Rhea was watching them, watching uh Susan and Roland, and they each felt that feeling of someone watching them. So I don't know what that says or what that means, but I think it's interesting that, that parallel exists and I and I wonder if that tells us anything more about the way the ball works.
1: Uh, yeah it could be maybe the the ball is like uh, a method for um casting your your vision out into uh, what do they call that astral projection yes yeah so
0: there's some some degree of astral projection that's happening
1: well so that that actually might be the case for the ball at least because if if you think about it like to be able to sense the presence of Rhea at those points and then also sort of um well and it's jumping around a little bit but ria we already know the the ball's kind of like doing bad things to her health Mm -hmm. so if you're projecting your soul or your astral projection out of your body you're basically like abandoning your body for chunks of time and floating around and we've all read books with astral projection usually it ends up with someone like either dying while they're doing it, or uh, you know, in poor health because they're they're so obsessed with doing it that Someone's they they don't eat into their
0: body when it's when it's uh, unoccupied.
1: Yep, yep, and they, or they have like somebody watching their body for them, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, one other small detail in this section before we move on uh, that I thought you would think was interesting. So the book that um, Jonas rips up is something called Mercer's Homilies and Meditations.
1: Okay, I caught that, but I didn't know what the significance was.
0: Well, I looked it up, and it's not a real book. Okay. But some people believe what that is, and I and I kind of buy into this, is that it's actually just a little bit of an Easter egg, and it refers to Mercerism from Blade Runner.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is Mer- okay, so you're going to have to refresh me. Um, It's been a little while since I've immersed myself in Blade Runner. Okay. Is Mercer the
0: robot folks? Mercer is the he is I don't remember if he is a robot folk but he is kind of like the leader of this religion where the androids were able to like phase and feel empathy with his story of like walking up this hill and someone throwing a rock at him I don't know I, I read a little bit about it today trying to understand it and I didn't totally understand it but I know as a Philip K. Dick fan you would be he's
1: one of those authors where and this is a complete aside but like some of his stuff you're just like this is great. Like, uh, Valance is excellent, but like uh-huh. the follow-up to it is garbage.
0: <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I don't know.
1: Anyway, yeah. I, I, I back to less belly aching about authors and more about uh, um, the book. So yes. uh, we jump back to Roland and the gang. They're out there counting, mm-hmm. and uh, Elaine and his touch. He sort of has like a panic attack. He yeah. feels uh, Jonas rampaging through their stuff. And and Roland basically says, you know, do you trust me? Uh, then we're going to sit here and count. And, and he says, you know, if it's any consolation, maybe we'll go back a little early. And when he says that, it sort of struck me for a moment. Like, we've kind of played down Roland's ability to sense. Uh-huh. But does Roland, on top of, you know, kind of having foreshadowing of seeing a glint of Jonas when they left the Barquet, also have a bit of touch himself and able to sense?
0: I mean, I think he sort of alluded to that he doesn't have much. He has more, I think, maybe than Kuthbert does, oh, okay. but I don't think he has much because he struggles to communicate. I mean, he's able to a bit, like how he was able to communicate with uh, um, Jake a bit in the last book but it was not it didn't come naturally to him whereas i think elaine has a natural inclination to having the touch and so it sort of it's a lot it's untrained at this point but it's still pretty strong
1: so do you think that roland's ping of that is probably stronger because it's someone who's like meaning malice against them which sort of broadcasts louder question mark
0: i think more it's that he saw him out there and he knows what he's up to you know because he's no he's playing castles with him and so he kind of has an idea of what he's going to do and so he's like i will head back that's not going to take too long for him to go trash our place yeah i think he's anticipating his move more so than he's using like psychically picking up on it Hmm. that's my i mean i don't know that's my Uh, yeah i
1: don't know either i was complete speculation
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think, uh, I mean, Elaine, something's going on with Elaine, because we started out this chapter, we didn't really talk about it, but he's, like, having all kinds of premonitions, and, like, but they're unclear. It's just sort of this sense of foreboding that, like, something bad is going to happen, um, and he's also, like, being very affected by the thinnie and the sounds of the thinnie. So, yeah, I think, I I, I mean, I, I to me, it's more... I don't. We'll see if he ends up having, like, actual information that is, like, beneficial, but it seems more like he's sort of a device for us to kind of feel that foreboding of, like, impending doom um, based around how he's feeling right now. I will say yeah. Roland is very frustrating in this section.
1: Very but frustrating.
0: This is where Roland
1: actually finally starts to show a bit of his cards.
0: You think? Okay.
1: Yeah, well, because he basically, like... Elaine basically like looks at Roland and Roland's like, I knew. Right. Oh, you yeah, know? that's true. Yeah. And so to play that far in means that Roland knew this was going to happen, knew that he was there, let him do this because he had a strategy for dealing with this particular thing and knew that his opponent would mm-hmm. try something like this in order to fluster them. Yeah. And and Roland's playing it smooth, which means that like he is sort of ahead in the game, I guess. Which yeah. harkens back to that thing that you were saying earlier about yeah. doing the right thing for the wrong reasons.
0: Right. I mean, like, why not loop his friends in? <laughs> That's what I keep coming back to. It's like maybe it'll all make sense ultimately, but to me, it feels like he's making a ta- he's making correct tactical choices in terms of how he's dealing outside of his quartet. But internally, I feel like he is blowing it. He's allowing the the destruction from within by just like completely closing everybody closest to him out. And I don't know ultimately what the plan is because we have very, very little insight into his head. And what I was saying that I find Roland extremely frustrating in this section is, aside from that frustration that I'm feeling around that particular topic, Mm -hmm. there's this thing where he says, um, this is a quote from the book, that there were times such as now that he found Elaine's ability to use the touch more annoying than helpful. And I kind of feel like he's overlooking a very useful tool and an important tool. He should be, I feel like, don't you think he would be encouraging elaine and using every pressing every advantage that he has instead of just being like "Ugh!" now he knows what i'm thinking this is so annoying <laughs> i'm just I'm rolling <laughs> well okay so
1: the issue with that is and if you think about this from like a logical perspective if elaine can't provide any more than like a, a panicked feeling then is the value of the touch really there in the fact that he can plan on it or plan around it or use mm-hmm. that inf- like it, it doesn't provide tangible information just a feeling about something and so in this case like roland already knew without having to have the touch that jonas is at their camp yeah um and, and so elaine being freaked out about the camp but not being able to even tell you why sort of indicates that the information is it's not clear enough to be uh, a value right or
0: i mean in this case roland knows right but what if maybe he can't tell you exactly what's happening but he could still be like an alert to the fact that there is danger that might be a helpful thing but the problem isn't it isn't that he knows that there's a problem and he doesn't know in detail it's that he knows there's a problem and roland doesn't want him to know there's a problem like that's why he's annoyed he's like oh, now i have to deal with elaine now i have to clue him into the fact that i know what's going on and he when he wanted to keep him out of the circle of trust, which is apparently just Roland.
1: Well, OK, then if that's the case, um, Roland, like he, he doesn't want him to get uh, upset and rowled and like off their kilter or uh, run around their castle, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Then why would he want to keep him in the dark about this exactly. thing that's happening? Because exactly. that'll make
0: him more upset when they get there, right? exactly that's the thing that's why i'm like what are you doing roland why not be like here's where i'm at strategy wise so that everybody's on the same page i mean unless there is some degree of i need them to be in the dark so that they act surprised yeah i don't i but i feel like you could just have the conversation you not trust you he insists on having trust from elaine and is like do you Do you think I lost my wits when I lost my heart like Cuthbert? And and kind of ask him, do you trust me? But the implication is you need to trust me. But he doesn't extend that same trust either to Cuthbert, who maybe would fly off the handle. But he also isn't extending it to Elaine, who is someone who we know is very calm, who is all in on Roland and trusting Roland as much as he possibly can. He could handle that information. So I don't really understand why he's choosing to keep them in the dark.
1: Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, yeah, and I don't know. Uh, I don't remember getting a resolution on this. No, I, I mean you.
0: not yet. I'm we only ha- we only covered half the chapter, so maybe we're gonna know things by the end of the next episode. It was hard to stop this time. (laughs) I was like, I want to know what happens next.
1: Yeah, but if you go too far ahead, since this jumps around, it's easy to just like zoom, zoom.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we made the right choice. I'm just being like impatient. All right. All right. So so we
1: cut cut to Shimi, who is um, heading up to uh, Ria's cabin. He's pretty terrified, and he's looking around and seeing muty vegetables. Like, apparently, even her scarecrow or stuffy man is Mm -hmm. like mutie-esque in nature
0: <laughs> yeah Which yeah it's like super strange choice um, maybe it's cause and effect like being around her everything's kind of mutated but i also feel like she likes, sort of mutants likes it like she it's picked, her aesthetic yeah she picked a mutant cat she picked a mutant sex toy slash snake she, <laughs> and now all of her but then also all of her vegetables are mutants and and the stuffy man that she would have had to have made herself is a mutant and And I was just kind of like, what what is up with that aside from just aesthetically being creepy and kind of telling you a little bit about how unnatural and creepy she is because a lot of this there's so much motif around like natural and unnatural in this book, and so it definitely aligns her with the unnatural side if she wasn't already obviously on that side, but if you think about what all of these muties represent, they represent mm-hmm. whatever this catastrophic thing was that caused all these mutations and is causing the world to move on in this way and that she aligns herself with that. She's she is attracted to that. Tells us a lot about Rhea.
1: Well, so Rhea's reaction to the Thinny spells out, yeah. I think, the same yeah. reaction to all the weird stuff. Yeah. She really enjoys the thinny and like likes the sound of it. And well, so mean, it's sort of I feel of this... like
0: that's a mutiny in and of itself, right? Yep,
1: exactly. So mm-hmm. her joy of that, and then like her also being like uh, of uncertain age and lifespan. Mm-hmm. Not and for then, much longer, you know, though. Uh, maybe she has mutated herself in some way or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we come to find out that that ball has been doing a number on her. Um, yeah. She's kind of, skull is sunken in. uh She's got brown patches all over her face Even and sores. head. Her hair is not in good shape and there's a point where she like offers shimi up some mushrooms to to do a a good time gross yeah Uh, but let's back up for a second so shimi rolls up he sees all this like kind of gross vegetables the gross stuffy man and he's pretty nervous to go in there to see ria ria sort of uh um, lets him be afraid, and then waits for him to bring his graph barrel in. When she does, she sort of sends her familiar, the snake, off to like scare Shimi, who almost drops the graph barrel but manages to save it and is terrified of the snake. And Ria, after he sets the graph barrel down, um hands him a note and asks him if he can read. And warns him that that note should only go to the person that it's meant to be delivered for and even Shimi is like kind of a not a full stack guy uh, understands that the reason he was called up there was not really to do with the graph barrel but to do with this note being delivered and he feels a lot of dread over that (laughs) meanwhile Rhea offers him up some mushrooms to to sex her up and (laughs) Shimi like Actually, out of character is like, oh, um, no, that thing fell off. A while wow. That pesky back. thing. <laughs> and like, Rhea's so shocked by this, she doesn't really know what to say for a moment, and then just like kind of bursts out laughing and tells him to get the hell out of here.
0: Yeah. You know, here's the thing How lovable is Shimi? Shimi is so lovable that she's only like a five on the nasty, cruel side instead of the 10. Yeah. She normally <laughs> is. <laughs> That's how lovable she is. Oh, he. Yeah this this scene was it was an interesting kind of break from what has been happening and sort of the genre that we've been living in and it kind of took us back to the horror slash dark fairy tale aspect of the book that has been missing for a little while. And yeah, I I love Stephen King's description here of like it says the hut stood open to Shimi. It looked like a gaping mouth, a sickest dank. Uh, smell drifted out and you're just like ooh and it, it's daylight horror in the brightness of the day it's still terrifying at Rhea's hut the way she's inside kind of calling to him it makes you think of of you know uh Hansel Hansel and Gretel or uh Shelob from uh Lord of the Rings like this <laughs> you know what I mean like this lying in wait character and then when she comes out and we knew that Things were not looking good for Rio. We've been hearing about how this ball is draining her. But I think this is our first like real description of what it looks like. And dude, it is rough. Things are not going well for Rio right now. And she seems totally aware of it and totally unconcerned, which I think is interesting. <laughs> the well... other thing we find out here, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go no, no, no. You go ahead. This is just a little detail, but she refers to him as Shimi, some son of Stanley. And, and that is Stanley Ruiz the bartender who thought it's possible that that's his son and so we kind of get a little confirmation of parentage here it's just a little detail but i thought it was interesting that that we find that find that of all things we find that out from from Rhea.
1: i completely missed that so that's that's really good info so i mean <laughs> why do we need that reveal i don't know but
0: yeah <laughs> i mean hey they it, Stephen king knows where our hearts are at we all just really care about shimmy and want to know about shimmy plus his little heart oh
1: <laughs> a little like a uh, uh, book just on shimmy like the comic strip of
0: She-Me. i'll take it i would happily take it him and his little pink hat gardening it'd be great um <laughs> The other thing is she does is she threatens him, you know, and she's like, I have, I can see far. If you show anybody this letter or give this letter to anybody who can read, I'll know an ermit's going to be under your pillow. And I, I wanted to know what you think. Is that a empty threat because we know what the ball typically shows her? Or is that foreshadowing because we know Shimi does ultimately give that letter to someone? Like, how worried about Shimi should we be at this point? Um
1: well, so when Rhea was talking about formulating her plan in the previous chapter, uh-huh, she basically didn't care if it got there or not because she said she's gonna set the cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah. And so just by putting this note out into the world, yeah. Whoever gets it it's gonna cause
0: That's a good point.
1: Cause problems, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, uh <laughs> Roland and the gang get it. I don't know what they're gonna do with it, but like maybe that causes them to go wacky and do something that they're they wouldn't do right. normally out of character or something like that. So
0: right.
1: maybe her thought was like, well, I'll give it to this guy and no matter what, this will cause trouble.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know.
1: Uh, or maybe there weren't hollow threats at all and like she really did only intend that for uh you know. Yeah. The... Yeah, exactly. And so like mm then she just wanted to cause maximum hurt and also, like, figured this boy is safe to, to deliver
0: a simple message like this. And she's a horny old toad, though. <laughs> Do not care for Rhea. <laughs> not a fan. I mean, at
1: least she's, like, s- sticking in the in the human genus this time, as opposed
0: to... Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But she is definitely punching above her weight class. She is way too good for her. all right so we cut
1: back to the guys um roland says all right let's head home early Uh, they head home and the first thing they find is their pissed on clothes and uh the uh damage to their notebooks and their broken pens and like the insults against their mother written in the book and it sort of ends up rolling into an explosion where they re well keithbert realizes that roland knew or had an idea what was going on and elaine also knew Mm -hmm. and that uh roland stopped elaine from like acting on his premonition of what was going on and this sort of turns into an explosion where you know keithbert keeps uh uh poking at roland but roland doesn't take the bait to Mm -hmm. fight him and Elaine has to sort of step in and try and calm him down. And he, he basically, uh, uh, tells him to like, you know, go write it off. And, and Keithbert has this like sort of a prominent statement where he's like, you know, uh, you may be doing this the right way, but for the wrong reasons. And then, um, what's the, the other one is something about, uh, um, she's going to be the end of us. Um, okay. I think I actually have it.
0: Um, we're getting a, yeah, so he we're getting a little ahead, but it's all it all runs together, so it's fine. He says, Um, you don't see, and I don't have the words to explain. If I say that Susan has poisoned the well of our quartet, you would call me jealous. Yet I think she has, all unknowing and unmeaning, she's poisoned his mind, and the door to hell has opened. Roland feels the heat of that open door and he thinks it's only his feeling for her. But we must do better, Al. We must think better for him as well as ourselves and our fathers. Tell him he's wrong. Tell him he's Even if he's right about waiting, he's right right for the wrong reasons, and that makes him all the way wrong. Tell him I said uh, what I said about this.
1: Yeah, and and so that statement's like underlined Mm -hmm. three times. Like, there's moments where, like, even from Keith Bird's perspective, he's like, you know, this could come to blows, and like, I will, I will likely lose, and one of us will probably die. And it's like, man um their quartet is broken up and then there's another moment too um hopefully i didn't okay, jump I'll, ahead i'll um, let you know if you did. i did um okay so i i thought too there was a moment where keith burt's like maybe we just yes. have our own cotette yes, and leave happened. roland mm-hmm. aside okay and so uh that moment there is like a spot where um elaine actually has to stop and be like listen man um, you're the only one that's going to break up the, the yeah. Beatles
0: here. Quit, quit calling out on you know? Yoko. It's you. We got our own problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and like, Elaine's trying to defend Roland, but that further feeds into the yeah. anger that Heathbert has to the point where like they almost come to fisticuffs yeah. for a moment. And then finally, uh, Elaine tells him, like, go for a ride, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and that's where the soliloquy yeah. comes, and then off he goes to ride around the hills and and then there's a moment where stephen king takes a second to say like riding around aimlessly uh while your mind is aimless gives you a chance to come up with ideas but keithbert came up with none (laughs) and
0: it's like what like why why
1: even say that
0: (laughs) oh keithbert yeah, this is this is pretty intense. I mean, it's very clear that our quartet is on the verge of breaking, and I can't decide if Roland understands this or he doesn't. I mean, he must care. I, I, I don't know if he understands how close they're getting to the verge of this because it seems like. If he did, it, he's either totally checked out or he just is so arrogant. He thinks that, you know, no matter what he does, Cuthbert's going to go along with it. Because what choice does he have? And in reality, the only thing that's holding them together at this point is poor Elaine, who's stuck in the middle, like, basically begging them not to go their separate ways. But I do think it's interesting that when we get back to that place, immediately we're back in Kuthbert's point of view. Again, we do not get any insight into what's going on with Roland. And, of course, Cuthbert is furious. He's furious that Jonas did this. He's furious that they destroyed their things. But more than anything, he's furious because he feels betrayed by his two friends. You know, they both knew this was yeah. happening. They didn't tell him. They didn't do anything. I mean, how could he not be mad? These are totally reasonable responses. The other thing that happens here, it's just a little comment, but he when Cooper is like yelling at them he refers to Jonas as mm-hmm. an old Corby looked it up because I had not heard that word before or I was not familiar with it and what Corby means is actually rook which oh am-
1: so it's like a chess
0: reference and also the rook school so oh. I, it made me think is this again foreshadowing based on your theory last time of why Jonas held on to the rook school like that's the piece that he's he has like that's his
1: Ooh, that's a tasty little morsel you you picked up there
0: (laughs) yeah so i i I just thought it was interesting that he would call him that um when we know that he they have that and he has that in his possession like that is his ace card right that he's got up his sleeve or his chest like you said his castle's piece is essentially that crow skull or that rook skull and i don't know just just a little small detail
1: Oh, that's interesting and then the, the other thing i wanted to, to point out while we're still hovering around this section is mm-hmm. that um keithbert tries to make or i mean uh, elaine tries to make keithbert promise that he won't yeah uh, go after jonas but keithbert says like I, I promise nothing yes and like elaine even says you know he insulted my mom that's enough for me to go after him too if i didn't trust roland right and that like making that statement basically sort of is another jab to drive Burt off into the craziness land
0: yeah the two things i got from that were first of all jonas knows exactly how to drive a teenage boy crazy <laughs> right like think about that insult some until a teenage boy's mom and you know like there's a whole cottage industry of yo mama jokes for this reason <laughs> because that is you know a sore spot right and like if you really want to rile up some teenagers go after the mom but the other thing i think is interesting here is he makes him promise, like, you won't go see Jonas. And he says, I don't promise. And we know that had he not run into Shimi, he would have run into Jonas. After the Shimi chapter, we cut to Jonas. And where is he? He's at the Traveler's Inn. So, yeah. there is some degree, I think, of Ka or fate or whatever intervening in this situation because he was about to pop his head up around that cult. Hey, look, Because there's no way, no way that Cuthbert would have seen him and been like playing it cool. He's too hot. <laughs> because, oh, that's the other thing I want to say before we move on is that what I, the other thing I think we take away from this section is that there's a moment where Cuthbert is thinking to himself, like, I'm going to have Elaine tell Roland how I'm feeling. And then he gets really upset at the idea that he has to tell Elaine to tell his best friend something. And I think it really underscores that so much of what Cuthbert is experiencing, so much of this anger that's, you know, coming out with these like little nasty snipey remarks and him really, really turning on Roland. It's not Mm -hmm. just anger. A lot of it is pain like he's he's really hurt by the way that Roland is treating him and he's really hurt by the way that he feels betrayed by Roland and Elaine and and I just think it it speaks to sort of the nuance and like the layers of what's happening with the the interpersonal relationships in this section that I that are a lot deeper and I think a lot more authentic.
1: Well, do you think that um Part of it is that Elaine has a little bit of insider knowledge that Keith Burt wasn't allowed to have. Yeah. Keith Burt himself considers considers their relationship between him and Roland to be a stronger one than Elaine and Roland.
0: There's probably some of that for sure.
1: So it's like the switch over mm-hmm. when you're in a three friend group and like yes, your best hard. friend becomes someone else's best friend. And you're like,
0: no, that's mine. Uh huh. Three is always hard, especially at this age. Like as an adult, I feel like you can have a group of three and it's it works pretty fine. But like when you're a teenager, three is hard. And I think that that's what I'm saying. This feels very authentic to me, like these interpersonal dynamics. Um, and Cooper, in particular, feels like a very realized character in this <laughs> section. Yeah. Uh,
1: so he goes riding off, um, off and beyond. And meanwhile, Shimi is taking the long way back to the delgado farm mm-hmm. uh, he, he could have got there faster but he's two hours behind his delivery time he's moving he at
0: just... a turtle's pace
1: yeah he oh yeah that's true <laughs> pace.
0: and fate intervenes between <laughs> him. i'm just saying i'm just saying
1: yeah fair enough um a <laughs> uh, no, uh, turtle of enormous girth you know all that business yes um so basically uh Keith Burt ends up running into Shimi. Mm-hmm. Um Shimi he's he almost like at the moment he sees him was like, "Oh, Shimi will make me feel better."
0: Yeah. And then
1: Shimi like looks up and actually adds like sort of washes away Keith Bird's anger about the previous situation but now yeah. provides him with like a sense of of overwhelming concern. Yeah, and this otherwise mm-hmm. happy, go lucky kid that he likes to talk to and chat with and mm-hmm. like joke with. Yeah. And and so we find out that Shimi's carrying a note. Shimi basically um he forgets it all in this like moment where he sees his savior and friend and gives the note over to Keith mm-hmm. Keithbert immediately reads it and is like
0: wow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I love this these moments between him and Shimi because you do genuinely see the affection that Cuthbert has for Shimi, which endears him even more to me. You know, that Cuthbert does actually have like a very kind spirit. And so when he sees his kid, he's just like, ah, let me see this kid. And then when he sees he's hurting, he's just like, okay, what's going on? And I just, I don't know. I I I like these moments between him and, and Shimi. And it also it kind of tells you that yes helping Shimi put them in the big coffin hunters crosshairs and that's practically not been super great for Roland in the gang but maybe the other flip side of this is that he was able to see this letter and it ultimately is going to be a net positive.
1: Yeah hopefully.
0: Like maybe it's gonna save him. I don't know. I can't remember and I'm, I'm like scared to remember how <laughs> <laughs> this all goes down but I think that they they took a pe- potentially took a piece off the board by having that would not necessarily have been possible if Shimi didn't have this bond with Cuthbert well i think i think part of the we'll bond
1: see. with uh Cuthbert and Shimi is that one's a joker and the other one likes to laugh at everything uh-huh. and those are always yeah. the two folks that go best together
0: yeah yeah but i also feel like what we know about Cuthbert is he kind of is a kind soul all the way back to the hack stuff, where he really struggled with what happened with hacks. And then he's the one that put his neck out and saved Shimi. A lot of what we're getting from Cuthbert is like him being a smart ass and then him being angry. But this is kind of a reminder that he also is kind of a kind-hearted soul.
1: Yeah. So then uh basically like we got that revealed yeah. that now Cuthbert has the note. Yes. And we cut back to Jonas. Yes. Who is... Headed back to the Traveler's Rest, and he sees his fellow cohort there all shaken up. Apparently, the guy from Seafront that showed up is like,
0: shape-changer, question mm-hmm. like, mark? I want to know if you have so, any theories about who this is. I have a theory, but we'll get there.
1: Well, okay, so at first I thought, like, because it sort of felt like it was just the man in black, literally.
0: It's kind of what but I then, think
1: too but then they make this point to say like no he's he's a lot bigger than this this guy changed his face all the time but like
0: no i think he... he's saying he's not bigger because farson was big oh yeah farson's like six feet tall or taller
1: okay and this guy's maybe this smaller is build. the man in
0: black i think it is
1: okay i thought I, that's big... how
0: i interpret it when they talk about how he laughs like a dead person and stuff i was like
1: He laughs like a dead person. He takes on the face for a moment of the guy that he killed in the the other town. Yeah. The old man. Uh Um, Yeah. And so it's just, like, a really weird, like, we haven't had a ton of real magic, magic stuff happening other than the crystal ball thing. Right. And so this moment is, like, ooh, dark magic.
0: Right. This is, we've gone very deep into the um, Western territory, and I've been into it but between Rhea and now this it's like bringing that fantasy element back
1: but it's it's gotten him so worked up that he's like you know don't even stop to have a popkin just get out get out right. here right you need to meet the this guy shooketh, fast. Dude. <laughs> and like and jonas is like what Like, since when do you, are you free with your, you know, recommendations and opinions? Right.
0: God, Jonas is such a smartass. It's hard for me to hate Jonas, even though I do, but I also, I don't know. He's just such a compelling character. He's a very charismatic character. And, like, his smartass quips is a big part of what, like, makes me like him. Well, I
1: mean, so he's sort of an analog to Keith Bird in a way. And that's what part makes it sort of fun that, that he's the most worked up over it is because you have like what could be a failed old Burt as jonas mm. and battling against a young like spunky charismatic version of him before mm-hmm. he was broken by uh court's father yeah
0: yeah I-, I guess i'd always thought of him more as the role and character but with a sense of humor but you're right there are like ma- who knows i i I would be curious to know what Jonas was like before all that shit went down in in Gilead. Like, who was Jonas before he got sent west? Well, and do we?
1: I guess I don't know. Do we ever find out? I like... think
0: he might. There might be stuff in the comics that explains. the... Yeah, I need to get my hands on those comics and read them. Hmm. I'm gonna wait till after the book because I don't want to. You know, like it, I want to. I want to be stay unsullied in the book and not know all the spoilers. So. I'm gonna wait till after, but I'm gonna to totally pick up a copy of this because I kind of feel like and maybe we'll touch on it in like the Patreon section at some point. But okay,
1: okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so then that's our cliffhanger is basically like Yeah uh, now he's headed off to see the face changing man.
0: Yeah. The other thing we find out a cup a couple of other little teeny things, which is a that something about what Farson looks like, you know, that he's like six feet taller or, or, or tall six feet tall or taller. Mm-hmm. And I so I immediately googled what JFK JFK's height because <laughs> i'm like <laughs> such a truther on that conspiracy and he is he was six feet tall so we're still we're still it still works it still works the other thing we find out is that farson sigel is an eye
1: yeah a creepy eye
0: yes so i feel like it's fairly safe to assume that means he's probably one of like an emissary of the crimson king right and i don't know if we knew that before or if we just assumed it but this kind of confirms it right
1: mm, yeah yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you laugh like the dead.
0: Yeah, that's not a good look. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're showing the faces of people. Well, I mean, we know for one of them is someone he killed. Yep. Can you extrapolate to maybe he killed his own father? Or I don't know. That might be a stretch too far even from moi, But No,
1: no. I think that's a, a fair statement there. Because, like, if he's cycling through faces, like, they're all faces that cause some sort of, like um psychic trauma to the person that is looking at him yeah that's true and so even if it didn't kill his own father maybe like there was some kind of bad blood between the father Mm -hmm. that would unnerve him in that manner
0: yeah i'm kind of i'm if if we are correct and that is the man in black i am very curious to see how a conversation between the man in black and jonas would go Mm. Mm. that should be interesting and entertaining Alright, what do you think overall of this chapter, Deej?
1: Uh, it's a uh, page-turner. You kind of mm-hmm. want to go fast and go on.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was very hard to stop. Yeah. And sometimes with these longer chapters, that's not necessarily true for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm mean, like, I can read more, but I know I have to, like, it. you know, I have to concentrate in a way that I don't, like, it's not a casual read. It takes a lot more brain power. But with know, this right? One, Once was, you get like, over
1: a certain num- or a number of pages, you're just kind of like, whoa wait yeah. what did i read yeah. earlier
0: <laughs> yes let me go 100%. back 100 so
1: overall i thought it was good it's, it's definitely a page turner um re- some really interesting dynamics between the group i'm not as big into the like soap opera portion of it but it is yeah. suspenseful and fun to like have someone break into your place and you know draw in yeah. red paint with a dog's tail for yeah. whatever reason all over your stuff yeah. um you know not into animal cruelty but like the shimi wiener joke is pretty good yeah. <laughs> i had to stop for a second and like laugh to myself for a while
0: yeah, yeah. I, I mean i think we've been doing a lot of like building 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 and it was finally nice to see something happen you know what i mean like i feel yeah, like definitely. okay we've crested we're going into shit is happening now so yeah i agree with you this is definitely a page turning um chapter that i enjoyed quite a bit quite a bit and I'm eager to get to the second half of it because I feel like things are about to get spicy so that's exciting (laughs) all right speaking of the other half for those of you who are reading along at home our plan for the next episode is to cover wizard and glass part three come reap chapter four rolling in Cuthbert* sections 13 through 19 so we're going to finish this chapter on the next one it's about the same amount of pages and time and all that jazz okay Cool. All right. So, connections to Stephen King universe. A none that I spied this time. But as always, if I miss something, please drop us a line and let us know. You can do that by emailing us, or you can join our Facebook group where we all like to hang out and uh, talk Stephen King conspiracy theories. At least I do. <laughs> Speaking of listener mail, we did get a couple of letters this time. All right. So this first email comes from Raven. And Raven says, during episode 51, you seemed, you wish there were more comics to help flesh out the Dark Tower universe. Well, luckily there is. While not done by King himself, he did give carte blanche to his, one of his assistants, Robin Firth, who plotted out the many issues of the backstory of Roland and his friends. It was scripted by Peter, Allen David. I didn't get through them all myself, but many of the questions that you guys have were answered. What's Rhea's backstory? what's the inside what's inside the rainbow orbs were there ever female gunslingers that sounds like a yes that's promising all of these and more i highly recommend them or even just wiki them raven says so that's cool yeah i'm definitely going to like i said i'm gonna wait till we're done with this book but i'm definitely gonna go back and read the comics because i have answers i have q's and i need a's (laughs)
1: i love comics but like it's one of those things where i don't want any more physical media in my life right and i don't have an ipad or you know right. anything that i would want to read those on right and so i i've kind of what about your away phone
0: from... did you read them on your phone yeah that's
1: kind of lame like uh-huh. i almost considered buying one of those uh color e-readers uh-huh. the big ones to, uh-huh. to do comics but then it's like am i going to read that many comics
0: I feel like you can get them like digital versions from your library, though, which is what I'm going to try to do and just like read them on. I mean, I do have an iPad somewhere that is essentially just a very expensive dust collector at this point, (laughs) but there's like software where you can read them on your browser. So I might just like sit on my laptop and read them. On one hand, I just really want to know these answers. But, you know, so there's like an entertainment factor. But also, I feel like as a research factor, I need to read them. Mm, Yeah,
1: I think that it would be good. Good material. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Uh, especially now that Raven has, like, put me on notice, like, yes, these answers <laughs> exist, girl. Read the damn comics. So I'm going to do that. All right. Our second one comes from Sheldon, and he says, Long Days and Pleasant Nights podcast slingers. Ooh, Ooh. are we podcast slingers? That's kind of cool. All right. Constant reader, listener, uh, Sheldon here. I'm finally caught up with the podcast, and I have been intently following your thoughts and ideas about the new version of The Stand and i have thought about it okay so this is about our reviews of the stand and i have feelings as well i've read the stand easily 50 plus times wow. since first reading it back in 1977 dang you are a constant reader that is that is impressive i read it i've only read it once
1: yeah me me too i've i've only been through the stand maybe twice actually uh-huh i read it in high school and then yeah. i listened to the book all the way through at work while driving. Mm. Um, so those are my two visits to the stand universe. And then of course the, the fabled 1990s mini. Right.
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm way more familiar with the the TV version of it, you know, cause I read it as well and I definitely read it too young. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: To appreciate a lot of the like nuances yeah. and like uh-huh. the political stuff that was at the beginning. Oh, and for sure. Yeah. And so I don't know if I was the right audience for it when I decided
0: to jump on that bandwagon. And I was like, oh, I should go read it in preparation because I knew, you know, like I needed it for the, the the miniseries that was coming out. And like also, you know, for Dark Tower podcast reasons. And then coronavirus hit. And I was like, no, I don't think I need to write this. I tried to listen to a podcast about it. Um, <laughs> Mike Flanagan did a podcast. I listened to one episode and I was like having anxiety. I was like, no, 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 I'm good. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) So I, I, hopefully, you know, like we're all getting vaccinated and whatnot. A reread of The Stand, I feel like, is in my imminent future, but not quite yet. But anyway, okay. So he says, yeah, I'm old as fuck. (laughs) 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 So I could be considered a purist when it comes to King adaptations, especially The Stand. I even read it again as the current pandemic started to to make myself comfortable. Wow. wow. Be- okay. Began to make itself comfortable across the nation and around the world. Damn, dude. That's hardcore. That is, <laughs> that is hardcore. Uh, he said the 90s version was really good and tended to follow the book pretty closely. Obviously, the new version does not. If I had one suggestion for anybody that wants to watch the current miniseries it's, uh, but hasn't read the book, it would be don't read the book. Just <laughs> go ahead and watch the miniseries. Now, I'm not saying that I'm disappointed in the new one or that i hate it but it's vastly different in many ways from the book i think that's i think i'm starting to see that that's true we'll get into it in this uh chapter when we get there or episode i watched every episode that has been released to this point so he's ahead of me and there are major successes in some parts and major fuck ups in others i so desperately wanted this version to be amazing but it hasn't consistently been amazing at least not for me I think that's probably fair. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, uh, it, it's definitely a upscale in like quality. Yes. But in plot and development, it's, it's sort of haphazard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. I feel like they nailed some of the characters perfectly and they missed the mark on some completely. And don't get me started on the version of new Vegas or, oh, or not new Vegas, Vegas. Some, <laughs> my, my fallout background keeps making me want to call it new Vegas. Um, I'm still looking forward to seeing how everything plays in the new version and very much interested in King's new ending. Looking forward to the next podcast and lolling at some of the things that are discussed on this podcast. You should hear the shit that gets cut. Um, love, <laughs> love the work y'all are doing. Sincerely, constant reader, listener, and laugher. And oh, I love that, Sheldon. Hashtag all things serve the bean. Hashtag flick it good. Ha 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 Oh, that bean. I'm happy. Oh, be- You'll never live down that bean. <laughs> Last night I was watching Clone Wars and uh, Jar Jar showed up and I immediately <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, That's thank you so much. not what it looks like, is it? No, so no, 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 no. <laughs> thank you so much for both of those learners. Those are really great. We always love to hear from you guys and uh, you give us a lot of great insight. Um, so, yeah, keep them coming. So let's talk about our listener question from the Facebook. Now, Sheldon is a regular contributor over there, so uh, I'm looking for, I'm hoping he answered this question as well. I always throw up a question on our Facebook group to, you know, kind of get what you guys, your thoughts on things. This time, uh, because there was a lot of Easter egg kind of stuff in the last chapter, it made me think about, places that i've seen dark tower show up in other stephen king works whether that's in books or in his other movies tv shows whatever and i wanted to know what everybody's favorite easter egg is now dj i popped this question on you like at the very last minute so if you did not come up with anything uh you totally get a pass but did you think of anything
1: i mean i i was sort of daydreaming and i sort of seem to recall when uh we back up to where uh jake gets the book in the bookstore Uh huh, and there's sort of like that. Um, that reference back to is it needful things? Maybe, maybe
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. And so, like, I you know, you could say that, and I would just agree. (laughs) Well, so I was
1: trying to remember if it was because there's one point where he runs into the pasture that's like in um, in uh, uh, um, Salem's lot, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and then I thought there was a Needful Things reference there. And so I always like Needful Things. And so that was just like, yeah, you know, I would like to see more of, of the devil, you know, run. Right. Around. Yeah. Because, you know, I guess the question would be um, if the man in black also represents like the devil or, you know, or well, the Crimson King, I guess, is the devil. So then would the Needful Things guy be the man in black? Or would it be the devil?
0: I don't know. I need to. I read Needful Things a billion two years ago. Yeah. Um, but I would not be surprised if that was if that was actually Randall Fleck. I mean, why not?
1: Exactly. And so <laughs> um, I'm just going to stick with that one and pretend it's uh it's fact and (laughs) toss it back over to you because
0: that's i mean it's it's fact on some level of the tower right like Uh, if you if you if you think that's wrong it's because the mandela effect is confusing you (laughs) well i was telling
1: rachel when she sprung this one on me it's like there are so many things that she points out to me that i'm like oh oh yeah that's cool And then Uh as soon as that little, like, butterfly flaps its wings, it soars off to another area.
0: (laughs) That's totally fair. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to cheat and go with the one that I put in the Facebook group already. My favorite sort of other movie or show Easter egg is In the Mist. I think we talked about this last time, that there is a part where you see what the main character in The Mist is painting, and he's totally painting Roland it's like a cowboy in front of a door with a rose and a tower in the background like <laughs> that's freaking roland right so so yeah i think he's like a comic book artist or something i can't remember it's been a million years since i saw the mist and the mist is really good but it is a one and done because that shit is grim have you seen the mist movie yes we've talked about that yeah yeah
1: you only watch it in the black and white version the, yeah. the color version is garbage
0: jesus That ending, dude, so grim, so grim. Almost there, almost there, nope. So close, it's so messed up, and then there's no more bullets. Ah, So fucked. Okay, so I put that on the Facebook group, and here is what we heard from listeners. Tim says his favorite Easter eggs are in Doctor Sleep, because there's just so many of them. Now, I know you haven't seen this, but it is full of Dark Tower references. Uh, The Tet Union bus line, Halloran saying, cause a wheel... The true not being like the Cantoy, uh, and that they abduct and exploit psychics, baseball uh, baseball boys number being 19, Lamurk Industries gets name checked, <laughs> and uh probably others that I'm forgetting. I do remember that there was like a Charlie and the Choo Choo thing when he's like hanging he's like hanging out in a train by a train in a park, and it's like there is some reference to it, but maybe it's just says Lamurk. I can't remember, but it was like a little bit of a Charlie and the Choo Choo reference, I think um then he also added a lot of people don't know this but uh because no one saw it but there was also this movie with idris elba a few years ago uh called the dark tower maybe it was some kind of homage because that movie sure didn't have much anything to do with the series (laughs) 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 roasted nice all right so our buddy sheldon from email fame says the stand uh as Judge Ferris is hanging out in a hotel room, he travels to Vegas and the crow starts tapping on a window with his beak. The judge starts to think about shooting the crow and wonders if the man in black's Caw is in the crow and if shooting the crow would kill the dark man. Hmm. 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 Uh, okay, so Jason says the double cover of Misery is the best. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what he was saying, and uh, so I, I asked him for a follow-up, and he said the paperback... Had a cover behind the cover, and it was a romance misery cover, and Stephen King was the bow. Oh, that's so cool. What? I didn't know that. So apparently the hardcover had a cover behind it. Or no, the paperback cover had a cover behind the cover that was the, it was like medic because it was like the book that, in the book. Mm-hmm oh that's cool and then yes. stephen king
1: was the romantic or romantic
0: <laughs> i mean i'm picturing him with like full fabio hair like blowing in the Your way shirt
1: open all the way down to the right? belly button
0: yes like a total piratey looking shirt all the way to the belly button yes yes oh my god that okay <laughs> for christmas y'all that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> send me a copy of this or the poster of stephen king on the romance novel <laughs> that That's would funny. be hilarious um yeah i remember i does that still happen i mean i haven't bought like a paperback in so long but do you remember like in the grocery store there'd be like all those books where like there'd be like a frame that you can see through it was like all the vc andrews novels and then you opened it and there was a picture behind
1: uh, so there are still romance novels on the shelves at, at gas stations and grocery stores
0: okay okay
1: um they're just not they're not as big as they used to be right. and a lot of romance novels have like tucked themselves into um murder mystery
0: and oh. like sci-fi stuff
1: so right. as opposed to the just like heartthrob man taking the woman he's also got to like um you know, save the United States from terrorists. <laughs> oh while God. also, like, sleeping with the Secretary of the State
0: oh in a romantic God.
1: but empowering manner. That,
0: yeah. In uh, a romantic and empowering manner. I love it. <laughs> so, okay. So, finally, uh, Jeremy chimes in and says he, his favorite Easter egg is from Gerald's Game. Do you, have you, no, you've not seen Gerald's Game that's the handcuff sexy time okay i have not there's a part where the vision of her husband her dead husband is talking to her and he's like well all things serve the bean so it's a good (laughs) it's a really solid easter egg and it's like comes out of nowhere you're just like (gasps) "Oh!" and i love that when you have that you have to be like an insider and have read the books to appreciate the easter egg you know what i mean it's a it's fun when that happens.
1: yeah yeah
0: awesome Great answers, everybody. Thank you so much for chiming in. Obviously, like every other Monday or Tuesday, I throw a question up there and if you want to participate, we would love it. So, join our Facebook group and do so. All right. Before we get out of here, let's really quickly talk about episode four of The uh, Stand. Okay. So, this one, up until now, we've kind of had it broken up into two to three characters. This time, I guess we're Getting rid of that structure completely, and we're just throwing things at the wall.
1: (laughs) Well, okay, so we kind of get two, there's two separate structures here. One structure is like the group discussing something, and then like that discussion being cut back and forth between a town hall style meeting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. So it's like that one's one format, and then you go to the other one, and it's like. This one's a uh, let's pick the the Ocean's yeah, Eleven Okay.
0: <laughs> so what I went ahead and did is I just put this in like actual chronological order. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. I think that there's we cannot go scene by scene. It is impossible. And one of my critiques of this episode is that I feel like what was originally kind of helpful in terms of abbreviating some of these stories has now just become like word salad (laughs) it's a little too much cutting back and forth Uh, like up until this point i think my boyfriend has been able to keep up even though he hasn't read the book and i don't think he's seen the original mini series but this episode he's like what is happening Mm -hmm. and i was like okay so here's what's happening because i had enough background knowledge to be able to kind of piece it together but he was not following and he is not a dummy so (laughs) i feel like probably more people are experiencing this weird time fugue yeah
1: yeah i had to watch it twice to really wrap my brain around it because yeah you miss a lot of the subtle stuff because they jump immediately from the meeting back to the meeting and then back to the meeting
0: again i don't actually feel like we needed them talking about the meeting i think the meeting by itself could have stood on its own
1: well uh, so there are some spots where like um when he f- flounders at his at his first attempt to talk to the crowd and the other yeah. guy like jumps in and sort of saves him yeah th- that you kind of f- fall for the characters a little bit more th- yeah.
0: th- that
1: i thought was good a- and then that moment where um uh, what's his name stands up and is like and the whole council and you're like wait what are you up to man
0: yeah harold the inexplicable main character of this story yes yes <laughs> it's i mean i get that he's like the one that's delivering the best performance but i'm also like are we really making harold the main character of this story there's so many other ones to choose from okay uh okay so here i mean like i said this is in chronological order so we're going to start with harold and franny are their adventures on the road we get a little bit more of that we see him confess his feeling to franny She ain't having it. Does not go well. Later, they are ambushed by a serial rapist who is keeping a harem of ladies, and he would like to go ahead and add the lovely Franny to it. Harold tries to fight him. Does not go well. Fortunately, because he's been leaving all these signs of where he's going, Stu and Glenn have been following and show up in time to distract them. There's a shootout, and then Dana pops out of nowhere is a total badass and kills him with a crowbar and they decide to join up and travel together
1: all right that's a dark moment where she gets shot in the head and just goes
0: down i know there are these moments where i forget that this is like on a channel where we can really show some graphic violence
1: yeah i was not expecting like bam head head wound and then like not just smash him with that like pipe that she grabs, uh, but to, like uh, smash and smash. It's like the anger face. rage. Yeah, and then she comes back and like stomps on him again and again. She's <laughs> just like, "Wow, yeah. this was a really abusive thing that was going on here," and you can yeah tell how much it, it PTSD this lady.
0: I kind of feel like this scene kind of emphasizes the way that the structure is not working. And that we know so much of what's happened after the fact that there's not a ton of tension here because we recognize people from, like, we know one one of the ladies does not look familiar. Mm -hmm. One of them does. And we know Franny and and Harold both make it to town. So there isn't a real tension in the scene that if they had showed this more chronologically may have been there. And it's kind of a shame because it's actually one of the better scenes that we've had in the last couple of episodes it reminds me of like the first two where it was punctuated by this violence and it made me realize i mean it says something about my character (laughs) i was like yeah more of that more of that so uh yeah yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know
1: Mm.
0: (sighs) also the franny harold thing that was rough it makes you feel bad for harold that's why i'm like what is this well does it? he's like
1: creepily staring at her while she's sleeping
0: yes he's and then like
1: yeah and then there's that moment where they're around the campfire and like everybody else is talking about the dreams
0: oh for sure yeah i mean i i feel like the show is in conflict with how it wants us to perceive harold and i understand he's a complicated character and he has an arc but they they make him a creep, but then they take take pains to show you like him hurting and crying after the rejection, and so like it tugs at your heart in a way. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's very confusing. The Herald. I'm having a lot of feelings about how this is, like I said, become about Harold because I feel like we are spending a ton of time focusing on his character to the point where we are spending no time. Exploring the internal life of the female characters of this show.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: We got a Larry episode. We got a Stew episode. We got a—I mean, like Glenn is kind of getting the ladies' treatment, you know. But Nick, we got stuff. But Franny and Mother Abigail and Nadine, I feel like we're not really getting in their heads in any sort of substantive way in a way that's starting to irritate me. (laughs) I'm not, oh, I'm done with the show yet by any stretch, but I'm starting to see a pattern that is pissing me off. (laughs) Especially, we're introduced to Dana. She has like one line of dialogue and now she's one of the spies. Yeah, she's just like, I'm
1: I'm in. And then that's it. And you're like, really?
0: Yeah. And I feel like we needed to know her a little bit better. We needed to know her and Franny's relationship a little bit better. To understand why she would be like, That's the one I'm going to talk to. Is it just that you saw her beat somebody's head in, or is I would think there would be more of a relationship there for you to feel like you could ask her to do something like
1: this? Well, and that's why I was talking about the Ocean's Eleven is because like they try to do it, but then they Ocean's Eleven like goes deep into what each character is up to and then is like, You win, I'm in, <laughs> and like instead yes! you just get the like glimpse and then they're like, I'm in, and it's like,
0: Wait, what. I feel like these are really important characters, too, and we're just not really getting to know them. I mean, maybe we'll get to know them when they get to Vegas. I don't freaking know, man. But it's it's just a weird, super quick introduction to them. Um, okay. Maybe they so, just don't
1: have enough time in the series to, like, go that far?
0: I mean, I, I, mean it, it, I will say it is challenging to adapt something like this that has 35 main characters, is you know thousands of pages log like it is not it is by no means an easy task so i don't want to say that you know they're not i mean they're really given they're really trying um but i'm trying to like think about this with a critical eye so i sound maybe a little more harsh because truly i'm actually entertained when i'm watching it it's not that i don't think it's entertaining it's just that i'm seeing some of this i'm seeing it felt very very raceful in the first couple of episodes the way the structure is and now i'm starting to see the seams a little bit ah. which concerns me okay so we also see more of nick and tom's journey which i am on board with because i love tom colin so much uh they encounter an unstable woman named julie who immediately starts making out with nick which i mean same girl <laughs> <do> the same. <laughs> he he's hotsy-motsy but she's super cruel to tom so it's a deal breaker uh, fuck this bitch um, prompting Nick to abandon her, and she freaks out, shoots her gun at them. But he, Tom, being the angel that he is, saves Nick's life, and we get a Steve, our Stephen King cameo of the series.
1: Yeah. Oh, that moment where they like look at Hemingford Holmes and like yes! Stephen sitting at the table. <laughs> yeah. When I saw I totally that, I was like, like... "No, oh, you." Go ahead. You. Oh, I I paused it for a second and stared at it. And I'm like. Of course! At least he doesn't have to act in this one and he can still be geriatric. Great! Good job, <laughs> Stephen King. Way not to, like, ruin it like you normally do.
0: <laughs> uh, you know that meme of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio where he's, like, pointing at the TV?
1: No, I, I'm sorry. Oh,
0: there's, okay, it's like a meme that people like like hey, they're pointing at the tv like i totally was that meme when that happened <laughs> I Like oh oh there's Stephen king i know that guy <laughs> so stupid but whatever i i kind of love his terrible cameos i mean we've talked about it my favorite one is the one from um maximum overdrive but i don't know i just think i love Stephen king is he the greatest actor no mm. <laughs> but i just love him uh okay uh so any other thoughts on this section
1: uh no not really like it, it kind of just wings by fast and then well you know and then we cut off to uh whoopi goldberg and hemmingford homes and like yeah. they're kind of meet up the girl they don't really spend a lot of enough time in that mm-hmm. furniture store with her to like yes. get a full character development
0: Yeah, and like we'll we'll see her again. Yeah,
1: and even um, those two, like, they're not quite... You still don't get a ton of Tom, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And and so it's sort of just like a brisk, like, yeah, I'm the goofy guy, okay, fine. And then, like, I saved him, okay, fine. Hugs all around, you know, okay, fine.
0: Yeah. I will say that that actor is continuing to do a really good job to, like, avoid... The traps of stereotypes around people with developmental delay um, and I appreciate I continue to appreciate that portrayal and the fact that he feels like an actual person and not just a whole bunch of really uncomfortable stereotypes that is appreciated I think he's doing a great job he's so endearing and I know so the actor is a former football player okay and so he has a lot of friends who have um, that head
1: traumatic um, head brain trauma issues yes
0: and so he is pulling from those experiences of his friends. And I feel like that's part of why it works is because he is working. He's, you know, these are like actual people that he knows and he's honoring them and like respectful of them because they're people that he cares about. And I feel like that is why that performance is working.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. All right. In Boulder and present day, the committee votes to send three spies. This is our, oceans 11 uh cue the like dun, 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 <laughs> dun, 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 music uh <clears throat> to go spy on flag and assess the threat franny nominates dana who we saw for three seconds um that she formed a bond with apparently larry nominates a judge that we've never seen judge ferris who is because <laughs> because they are the oldest member of the community and glenn nominates tom cullen because they won't suspect him and He made me cry when he's like sitting there said goodbye to him on the side of the road.
1: They're wearing like matching coats.
0: I know. And
1: for some reason they put eggs in his cart. I
0: know. He's so Like what's he going to do with eggs? He's on a bicycle. I mean, I assume it's so he has food to cook because like he has to ride his bike in there, right? So how far away do you think, how far is he riding? I understand that Colorado and Nevada are... Close, I mean, like not that close. So,
1: if you are going down Mexico,
0: between if you are going down the
1: interstate from Boulder, um, uh it's it's a good like four or five hours of driving uh, through the pass to get from Boulder to like Montrose, and then from Montrose to um, Nevada is like probably another three or four hours of driving.
0: So, do you think how far do you think they took him? Like.
1: (sighs) I would, I would hope like almost all the way to Utah. I don't,
0: let me bring up a map now. I'm, I'm curious. right? Like when they just like, the, he didn't even have like a motorbike. It was just like a, it, was, it didn't even look like a 10 speed dude. It just looked like a beach cruiser. I was like, really? You're going to put this kid on a fixie Yeah, and be fixie like goes, ride to Vegas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Here's
1: your hat. This Here's your fixie. Up. Um, let me see. So yeah, yeah, it's basically you'd have to cross the entire state
0: of Utah jesus
1: so that's about actually like more like 10 hours
0: they must have dropped him off closer right i, I really hope so as we all if as people who happen to have listened to the, the splatter cast before it was expunged from the internet no i had a, a brief flirtation with having a fixie until i got a flat tire and then i was like fuck this <laughs> i'm
1: sorry i've harassed fixie owners my entire life it's like Whoa.
0: i i was one of them <laughs> yes it was much much fun had at my expense it's such a bad
1: oh, man people in um even out here like you really want to go so far as to have to backpedal to brake. yeah
0: you know? it did have backpedal brake.
1: and it's like you know what uh that's how you get into accidents and like that's how you stripping yeah. your bike down to like only one brake is not a good idea and then like on top of that like what are you doing it for like no chain guards, great. Your pants get stuck in there. Like you gotta wear that weird thing on your foot. It wasn't the most uh, functional. You go up a hill and you're like miserable because you're you only yes. have one gear.
0: Yes, these are all true and things. Like, well, things and it's like
1: we've it's like someone sees like the evolution of something and is like no, I want to do it the hard way. And you're like,
0: well, what? Wait,
1: no, we've we've gone past that. Like there's inventions now. Did <laughs> te- I tell you about We have inventions? the
0: technology. <laughs> we can make it better. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it looks like Boulder to uh to Fla- is it Flagstaff or Reno? They go to Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Okay, so yeah, that's a that's a really long run. That's because not- <laughs> I-
0: give the man a ride or at least
1: some gears, please. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're actually you're traveling almost uh, three quarters of the length of Colorado, and Jeez. then all the way across Wyoming. And, and that then, is not flat land either no that's all mountainous and then you're heading south um into vegas so mm. if you put him on a bike like and you expect him to bike back to boulder um you know
0: that's messed up everybody else got a car but tom gets a bike i know right teach the guy to drive it's not like he has to worry about traffic well i mean and
1: it's 2020 just put him in a tesla where are like duh got some, uh, some automatic cruise control features right
0: yeah this this feels uh i don't know i'm calling shenanigans.
1: i mean All right. you, you know we're in a in a fake world anyway so you know, yeah everybody has you. a stone good they pull point from their he doesn't
0: actually have to yeah he doesn't actually have to ride there like movie magic will allow him to arrive okay so nadine follows flag uh flags order and approaches harold to seduce him sort of uh
1: i took my shirt opened it up a little bit
0: and you creamed your pants harold yeah i mean amber heard is a very attractive lady but still that's 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 a rough look for poor Harold. (laughs) dude cannot catch a break he's finally gonna get a little action and he does not (laughs) uh i don't even think he got to feel a boob it was it was very sad all right so but despite that despite his lack of second base achieving Reaching? I don't know what the right word is there. Um, He is on board to kill Mother Abigail and the committee, mostly though, because he despises Stu and his handsome dimples. And Harold comes up with a plan to use avalanche control explosives to do something. We'll see what. And sadly, when they're getting the explosives, along comes his good friend Teddy, and Nadine being a total jerk, shoots him. And he dies in Harold's arms unaware that he has betrayed them and he tells them run harold and breaks my poor little heart all right what'd you think of this?
1: i mean so H- harold like shows a little bit of emotion there where he's like almost angry at nadine yeah for this this happening mm-hmm. um but it, i don't know <laughs> We keep getting a lot of Harold, like you were saying,
0: a lot of Harold, and Harold is our main character in this version of this, and story.
1: not nearly enough development of like a lot of the other characters. I guess Nadine gets yeah. a a fair shake with some earlier scenes, but yeah, it's more to like forward the insights of the man in charge of her than it is to forward her own insights
0: absolutely which Mm -hmm.
1: again like kind of points to your your complaints i i I don't necessarily disagree um harold does the guy that's playing harold does a great job in this yeah he's great and like i love him as an actor and like he's probably one of the shinier pearls in this endeavor Uh,
0: without a doubt yeah but it's
1: still like come on guys give me some more of the other stuff
0: yeah i mean the thing is is i'm also very compelled by by Uh, Larry, like, let's spend some time with him then. Like, Stew is fine. I like James (laughs) Marsden, fine. He's he's not. The thing is, is I would say across the board in terms of acting and production value and all the technical stuff, this thing is looking great. Super shiny. It looks like it looks like prestige TV all day. And I love that we're getting a Stephen King adaptation that has these kinds of production values and these kinds of this level of performance. Mm I'm struggling a little bit. I'm struggling a little bit. I'm entertained. I abs- I'm going to watch this thing to completion much like Harold in his pants. But I am no no laugh nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, thanks for the pity laugh. Um, but yeah. So but I I don't know, man. It's I it's just so strangely structured. And I don't know if it's because the show is mostly invested in Harold or if it's something about the way that it's all like choppy choppy and then but Harold's story feels like a through line.
1: Well yeah, cuz they know. focus in on him at the meeting. They focus in on him with Nadine getting the blast stuff. The the rest of the gang of 5 are kind of ancillary, even to the point where when he's playing guitar on the top of the building when they turn the power on, you're like, I want to know more about that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they don't. Um I think the only other guy that gets like some reasonable character development is the guy with the eye patch where like you find yeah, out yeah. that he he's super caring about uh tom that he's gonna send off to a possible uh fate worse than death or not yeah. and then he also like has this moment where he has to lie to mother abigail yeah and like he's
0: definitely one of the most compelling characters too and he, it speaks to the actor who doesn't you know he he's not we're not getting a verbal performance from him, but still, <laughs>
1: if he was talking, like... like maybe he's not as good an actor, but as a,
0: maybe <laughs> as a purely
1: visual thing, he's like, nailing
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm still on board. Still going to watch it. This is not my favorite episode. Uh, you know what? No Randall flag at all. Uh,
1: I think you're correct.
0: I think you're right zero we get i feel like we need to be getting into vegas right he doesn't feel present at all this is sort of turned into like falling skies or jericho or something like sort of post-apocalyptic society building i need stephen king's version of the devil chop chop
1: well there's even a little bit of like story building that's left hanging where um there's a crowd of like what appear to be, I guess, new wave hippies hanging out in front of mother Abigail's house. Yeah. And like, we don't, we don't get anything spelled out at all. It's just like, she's seeing the last person today, Uh, you know, uh, be back early in the morning. And you're like, I want to know what the hell's going on here. Yeah. And you get zero explanation for it. And we just move on. It's like, well, well, why did you give that to me if you weren't going to explain it?
0: (laughs) I mean, is it just like a little crumb for the book readers?
1: Uh, maybe, oh. or maybe uh, they'll do another strange round of montages in the next.
0: <laughs> oh go my god, round. I hope not. Like, let's let's narrow the focus. We need to narrow the focus, please.
1: I I don't. So okay, so I don't mind the cutting around when they were like talking, and then like you have the live action of the meeting, uh, and then the group is discussing, and then the live action of the meeting. That part's okay. I see what they're doing, and it's fine. But like moving from there to the other stuff it's like you shortchanged the storytelling portion of this by by not telling the story consecutively
0: yeah yeah
1: and i think it's a problem i run into too like with stephen king's actual written books it's mm -hmm. like he does like to sometimes montage around
0: i mean we're
1: we're dealing with that we just
0: <laughs> went through a chapter where like every two pages we've changed perspective yeah and but so, i also feel like we spent a lot of time setting those people up so like
1: you weren't just like blindsided the... by the jumps yeah yeah
0: exactly yeah exactly hmm.
1: I'm, I'm not sure. mad at this series and i'm glad like it's a better looking adaptation of stephen king's work than we normally get but
0: mm-hmm. eh,
1: you know um will this go down as like a, as much of a classic as the 1990s version of right. the stand I don't, I don't know
0: you know yeah maybe yeah.
1: if uh harold was cast alongside the guy that played parker lewis i might be a little more enthusiastic yeah
0: i kind of almost wish harold was the man in
1: yeah actually he would probably be really shiny there
0: he's a um, really good actor and he could i feel like he can do the like crazy scary yeah yeah i agree um
1: i, I like the actor playing harold like he at first i yeah. was a little turned off by it
0: but oh, yeah
1: he's, he's definitely like got the moves and yeah even to the point where like he's got the um on his beer he's got like the little like Uh, cut out yeah (laughs) and then he like does the smile in the mirror
0: that's that smile is what's making me wish he was man in black
1: i know right because it has such a sinister like yes Mm -hmm. multi-layers
0: not quite human there's some human emotion sensitivity chip missing in that smile which is something he's doing intentionally which lends itself to the man in black Mm -hmm. character all right, cool. Well, we will talk about episode five on the next episode. We, For those of you sticking around, for patrons sticking around for the extended episode, we have a very fun, it's actually a fan theory that at first I went, no. But then I was like, someone go get my tinfoil hat. I need to perch it upon my head. I am now a believer. So we're going to be talking about whether or not Pennywise is also the Crimson King. What? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If you want to listen to that, head over to patreon.com/slash/zombiegirls, uh, where you can become a patron and listen to all of the bonus content and bonus episodes for the entire network by signing up for our patron. All
1: dun. right,
0: dun, dun, dun. all right. So, for those of you at home who want to drop us a line, you can email us at zombiegirls.com. You can hit us up over on the Facebook. Uh, group if you're enjoying the show please review us on itunes dj if they need more of you and they're not sticking around for the patreon where can they find you on the internet
1: you can swing over to deadlander.com and listen to us as we work our way through every single beatles album ever oh my god <laughs> from start to finish <laughs> um uh, pro tip the analog mono versions are better than the stereo remasters from the 2010 issues oh
0: all That's right. an interesting tip. Okay, so
1: uh, there you go. Um, other than that, uh, I am, I am kind of uh, internet dry these days. So here and there is, is pretty much
0: it. <laughs> All right, awesome. <laughs> what about you,
1: Rachel? Where can they find you?
0: Well, if you would like to hear more of my thoughts you can check me out on Zombie Girls where we review horror films from the feminist perspective you can find me on More Deadly where we review horror films directed by women it's currently women in horror month hey hey! so uh, yeah we'll definitely have some content there you can also find me on the Stream Queens where we review horror films you can stream on the internet we're going to have our first uh, Patreon guest soon so that's really exciting and yeah I think that is it right now i just did a recording with uh the guys from here's johnny but that is also going to be a patreon bonus so whoa Uh, yes yes we're talking about the a promising young woman a movie a a woman directed rape revenge film that did not love (laughs) 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 yeah but we talk about that and it's it's interesting it's an interesting conversation okay dj take us out
1: Hop onto that donkey, guys, grab a barrel of graph, and ride it out of town, and make sure your peen doesn't fall off. Good night. <laughs> Bye,
0: everybody. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh, and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ.